And as you just heard in today's address, the Ontario government announcing plans to restart non-COVID-related surgeries and procedures. Ontario Health has put together recommendations and guidelines for hospitals. Now, these hospitals will have to put together an oversight committee, create COVID-free zones for procedures to take place, and also utilize virtual care, all part of this process. Let's welcome in Dr. Nadia Alam. She's a family doctor and the past president of the Ontario Medical Association and she joins us on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Dr. Alam, pleasure to have you on the show again. Mr. MacArthur, thank you so much for having me. All right, first off, uh, what do you think of the plan uh, just announced, just rolled out by the uh, government this afternoon? I think it's high time that we talk about restarting the healthcare system and what that could look like. I am concerned um, with how it's going to roll out. Uh, the healthcare sector is not really great at being able to communicate between various facets of the system, right? Hospitals have trouble communicating with the community, community sectors, community organizations and services have trouble communicating between themselves. There's trouble communicating with central government as well as regional arms. And a lot of this is very dependent on all of these pieces, all of these necessary pieces of the healthcare system being able to communicate quickly and effectively um, with one another, and that part worries me. Is that because the healthcare system in this province, and maybe just not in Ontario, but in Canada's in general, it's just become this monstrosity and this bureaucracy that's just so hard to navigate, not only for families and patients, but also for doctors and medical professionals? Absolutely. You've hit the nail right on the head. It is a very complex system. It's very dependent on where you are. Healthcare in downtown Toronto is very different from healthcare up in Kenora or even healthcare in my neck of the woods, Georgetown. It's uh, people try. A lot of people try to make things run smoothly. They spend a lot of time and effort making sure that patients have the information that they need. Specialists have the information they need. Family doctors have the information they need. Um, hospitals have the information they need. Home care services have the information they need. And yet, it's still incredibly fragmented. It is very difficult to coordinate. It is very difficult to get everybody on the same page. The, the patient, and my patients talk about this a lot, they end up feeling like messenger birds between the various parts of the system. It's what, tough. Yeah, what is, uh, Dr. Lam, the thing that you've uh, heard here this afternoon that alarms you the most? I just, in the introduction here, uh, outlined just really briefly some of the things that hospitals are being asked, including uh, oversight committees, to put together. I, is that of concern for you, or is it something else? I think the logistics are of concern to me. There's, again, a lot of, a lot of back and forth between the oversight committee, between the regional oversight committees, um, and between the, the doers in the, in the system, right? Information that goes from the committee down to the level of the surgeon, anesthetists like me, nurses in the OR, patients, people who coordinate all of that. Um, there's a lot of permission seeking and signing off and making sure everything's working well together. I feel almost... I almost want, I worry that it, it's become so complex that it'll slow everything down. And the, the healthcare system has already had to slow down a ton for this, for COVID-19, for this pandemic. Yeah, and time really is, doctor, of the essence here, right? I mean, we talk about, uh, we're talking about patients who have had their surgeries postponed or maybe even in some cases outright uh, cancelled for the time being. And just how critical, I mean, can you put it in some sort of terms for us, just how critical is the situation right now for those 
uh, patients that are suffering from something non-COVID related? So I, I can give you an example. I have a patient, a very high functioning patient who, who works in the legal system. He's had chronic pain issues. He got a neurostimulator implanted just before the pandemic hit. He did not get a chance to work with the nurses to program it. So that's what he's waiting for. He is waiting for a procedure to program that neurostimulator to control his nerve pain. During this time, I've tried to stabilize him with medications. But I mean, part of the reason why he needed the neurostimulator in the first place was because medications were not enough. And so... I'm, tr- I'm fighting a losing battle. He's struggling. He is now at the point where it's become difficult for him to work. And that's really what you see, right? Patients on wait lists have an economic cost. They, they have an economic cost to themselves. They can't do their jobs as well. They can't be as productive. Sometimes they need to take time off of work. And then there's the economic cost to their communities, to the province at large. If they're not working they're not making money, they're not investing, they're not able to pay their taxes as well. They may end up having to go on disability or some sort of government subsidy. It's a snowball effect that can have a profound impact on a patient's life. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about their life as a whole. I mean, you, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about people that have been awaiting cancer surgery and have that uh, postponed or canceled uh, outright for the time being. Not only physically is that not good news, but I would have to imagine mentally as well, the anxiety that would create. I mean, if you're there and you want to battle, you've heard you've got a cancer diagnosis and you're ready to fight the fight of your life and you want to battle, you want to get in there. You want to get in and battle. Well, you feel like a ticking time bomb, right? You don't know when the cancer will spread to the rest of your body and make it too late. And while I understand and know that physicians are working hard to get in the most urgent of procedures, they are doing their best to advocate for patients, get them on the list, get their procedures done, get their surgeries done, all of that. Even before COVID-19, we had long wait lists, even for cancer surgeries. And my worry is without a system that communicates well, that coordinates very well, that is seamless in the patient experience from start to finish. Without a system like that, um, the patients whose care has been delayed or disrupted by the pandemic already, they're going to end up in more trouble. They're going to end up not just with emotional suffering, they may end up with life-threatening conditions that, that actually reach a point of no return. And that's the part that keeps me up late at night, I have to say. Joined by Dr. Nadia Alam, past president of the Ontario Medical Association, as we go over some of the framework just announced by the Ontario government to resume non-COVID procedures in Ontario hospitals. Uh, Dr. Alam, I'm wondering, do we also have any idea how long, I mean, obviously the medical system, our healthcare system is playing catch-up now when it comes to this okay. non-COVID-related uh, uh, these procedures, do we have any idea how long it's going to take to remove that backlog? Just how far behind are we? We've got a lot of problems that we need to fix going into that. If we have any hope of touching that backlog and being able to make a meaningful difference before we hit flu season, um, a lot of family doctors and specialists are struggling to keep their practices afloat. The government has provided some form of an emergency loan. Um, Unfortunately, people don't all qualify for it. um, And physicians can't necessarily pay it back, which makes them hesitant to take it in the first place. Um, 
without these specialists, without these family doctors, our healthcare system is going to be in big trouble. We've already seen what lack of healthcare um, resources has done to our system in the past. We've seen the trouble that long-term care homes and retirement homes have had to get enough manpower. If our physicians start to go, if we start seeing that close down, all of those patients who are waiting for a family doctor or who are waiting to get a surgery done or who are in a queue somewhere are going to have to start up in another queue. And that's going to have a profound impact on the backlog. There's pieces like that that still need to be addressed in a, in a good way, in a helpful way, in, in a meaningful way for us to be able to have any hope of catching up on this backlog. All right, just finally, I want to ask you what might be a difficult question. I don't know, maybe it's an easy question. Uh, what is the lesson we need to learn coming out of this? I mean, if we see a second wave uh, in the fall, I've seen a lot of talk about there should have been hospitals, which were COVID hospitals, and other hospitals were deemed uh, non-COVID hospitals in which these elective surgeries and cancer and cardiac surgeries could have continued and happened. Is that the lesson here, or is there something else, do you think? It's a really good question. Um I'm not, I'll confess, I'm not a public health specialist, first of all. Um, my, my specialty has been family medicine and anesthesia. I'm very much on the ground, um, in the moment, uh, type of physician who's looking at the patient who's sitting in front of me and trying to deal with the patient who's sitting in front of me, um, as opposed to looking at the population as a whole. I think the lessons that public health will draw from this will be important. And it'll be important to see what did we learn from the SARS epidemic? What did we put in place here? And then what have we learned going forward? COVID-19 has exposed a number of cracks in our healthcare system. It's shown how, um, how many of our healthcare human resources are dependent on the gig economy, for example, right? We heard of PSWs who work in a number of different long-term care homes because they don't have job stability or um, income stability working at just the one home, right? We saw that with our healthcare system. We saw how communication is difficult. We're getting mixed messages about when to start, when to stop, what to do. Community hospitals are struggling um, because all of a sudden they've their business has all dried up, right? They may not have seen the surges of COVID-19 patients, but they may have seen a couple of cases, but all of their business and all of their funding is, is having trouble just because of the fact that there's fewer people in emergency in the emergency department, fewer people in the hospital. Everybody's staying home. This pandemic has exposed a lot of things, a lot of important takeaways for our healthcare system, takeaways that we need to start working on and fixing. And I'm not naive. It takes a long time to build up a healthcare system. But if we don't start now, we'll never get there. And while I realize we're not going to get there before the second wave hits, we at least have to start so that when the second wave hits, we're better prepared. And maybe it is worth considering designating certain hospitals for COVID-19 care just so that other hospitals can continue. But until you make sure that you've got proper staffing until you make sure that your human resources, right? 70% of our healthcare system goes towards human resources, people who take care of other people. Until we address that, we're, we're going to be in trouble.
Well, there's no doubt this pandemic has uh, exposed a lot of uh, cracks in every facet of life, including, of course, our healthcare system. Dr. Alam, really appreciate the time. As always, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Mr. MacArthur. I hope you have a good day.